So there's a young man in the Bible. He was probably about a sixth grader or one of the ages of a junior higher. His name was Daniel. Many of you know him and his three friends that later, Shadrach, Meshach, and there you go. Good, good. you're listening. That's good. Stay awake. All right. So if you don't know the story, most of us only know Daniel because he was thrown in the lion's den. That was when he was 80 years old. But what about how did he start off? And so as about a sixth grader and many other young men, they were kidnapped from their godly families and they were kidnapped so that they would be put in the service of an ungodly king. And because the ungodly king wanted to mock God and mock the God and the families that worship the true God, what he did is he just engulfed them in pagan rituals. In fact, they were taught a new language, and they could no longer speak their own language. In fact, they were given different names. In fact, you know Daniel is Daniel, but he had a different name given to him, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the name that was given to them. And they were named after false gods so that they would forget God. And so they were not only no longer able to speak their own language, a different language, they no longer, when they were called by their name to remember their God, they would have to think of, or that's what the king wanted, them to think of a false God. But then they were given all different privileges and things, and so they were given food. And you probably know the story, they were given food that was offered to false gods, and they refused, so you kind of know that. That's kind of how Daniel and his three friends got started. And you can imagine as a young person being taken away from your home and all this is dumped on you living in a godless society, they probably often thought, like, man, where's God in this? Like, why did God allow this to happen? And like, where is God in all of this? And then a few years later, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're they're older men now, and the king made a false god, a big 90-foot golden idol, and he said whenever the music started playing, you're to fall down and worship it. You know this, right? And if you don't, you're going to be thrown in the furnace. It was probably the furnace that melted all this gold to build this 90-foot gold statue. And if you don't, and you can imagine probably what was happening in their own minds as they thought, like, where's God in all this? And they wouldn't bow. And guess what? They were thrown into the fire. And you can imagine the taunt. Say, where's your God now? And don't you imagine they probably thought, yeah, where is God? In the midst of I'm trying to obey Him and live for Him. Why does this happen? And then Daniel, when he's about 80 years old, he's praying to God. And yet they made a law because they wanted to catch something that Daniel would do. And they made a law that you could pray to no one except the king. And yet Daniel, just like he did every day, he went and he prayed. And they caught him. And they threw him in the lion's den. And you can imagine they probably taunted, like, hey, where's your God now? And, you know, we think of Daniel like he was super spiritual, and I'm sure he was. But don't you imagine he probably thought, like, yeah, where is God? I mean, I've faithfully served him all these years, and this is what happens to me. Like, where's God in this? I'll just give you one more. His name was Stephen. He was the first deacon in the New Testament, and he was a man full of faith, and God was using him mightily, and he was preaching. People were coming to know Christ, and yet people didn't like that. So they put him on trial and then took him outside of town, and they stoned him to death. 
And you can imagine probably while people were picking up their stones and just pelting him with them, like, where's your God now that you always would defend and you spoke about? Where is he now? And can't you imagine? I don't know. Maybe even Stephen thought, like, yeah, where, where is God? And you probably know this. You probably already know this, but it is a good reminder that following God is not without difficulties, trials and troubles and pain and fear and questioning. In fact, here's just like reality. It's a guarantee. In fact, if you're not a follower of Christ, that was a really good a way to cause you to want to be a follower of Christ, right? Because it's a guarantee. You follow after Christ. Difficulties are going to come. It's an absolute guarantee. And so if it's a guarantee for a follower of Christ that these things are going to happen, how are you going to deal with it? Because a lot of people don't deal with it very well. Believers don't deal with it very well. So how are you going to deal with it? And that's where I'll encourage you, if you will, take your Bible. And all this weekend, our young people have been looking at in the book of Psalm. And so turn to Psalm 42. And while you're turning there, I'll just tell you a little story. I grew up in a loving home. In fact, my mother was the most loving mom I could ever imagine having. And uh, yet my mother suffered from depression. And as just a boy, I can remember my mom never tucked me in. Uh, and so she always went to bed before my sister and I and for my dad. And she'd close her bedroom door, which is on the back side of the house I grew up in. And being out in the living room, my sister and my dad and I, we could hear her cry herself to sleep every night of my life. And as a boy... I was kind of like, hey, Dad, what's wrong with Mom? And he'd always say things like, well, she's not feeling well, had a difficult day, and never told me any of these things. I remember I was 14 years old when my dad finally thought, well, maybe I'm old enough, and he began to just tell me what was up with my mother. Uh, when I was a baby, my grandmother um, took her own life, and my mother couldn't get a hold of her, so... My mother went to my grandmother's house, her mother, and found her in that state. She had taken her life. And my mother was a, a believer. In fact, she uh, played the piano in the church I grew up in, and she did not know how to deal with that and soon became addicted to prescription uh, medicine. My mother... even though a follower of Christ, suffered shame and confusion and she was in bondage and she quietly suffered as a Christian on Sunday with the Christian face on. But behind closed doors, suffered in deep depression. And no one knew it except the family. My father feared that either he, my sister, or myself would come home one day and find my mother had done the same thing that her mother had done. So from a young teenager until in my early 30s, guess what I dealt with? 
I dealt with depression. And hear me. I suffered quietly. And I came to church. And I had this face on. Of man, Jim's got it together. But behind closed doors, I had confusion and shame that I felt this way. And who are you going to talk to about this? Is anyone going to understand this? Because, hey, good Christians, right, don't deal with these things. And so I suffered quietly. So what do you do? So Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams. Just stop right there for a minute. You can just get the imagery of a deer. He's been hunted and he's panting for relief and water. And I mean, he is incredibly starved out for some relief. And the truth is, distress and grief and all these things that all of us encounter sometime in our life or maybe ongoing... Every one of us wants some type, we thirst for some type of relief, and we look for it in something. And I never would ever have heard this as a young man. But the truth is, even followers of God can try to find relief in meds, drink, porn, busyness, hobbies, their job, extra something on the side, and the list goes on and on and on. Right? It shouldn't be surprising. It happens everywhere. Just because you're within the walls and the roof of this place does not mean that people do not suffer in those types of ways and looking for relief. Hey, do you remember the movie The Avengers? That's probably been one of my favorite movie series. Pretty cool. In The Avengers, do you remember the Hulk takes Loki? Am I saying that right? So he takes Loki and he's throwing him around on the floor, pounding him, right? And you remember what Loki says? You can't do this. I'm a god. And you remember what the Hulk does? He pounds him around a little more. And then the Hulk walks off and says what? Puny god. Anything that substitutes God is a puny god. It will never bring satisfaction or relief. But here's the truth. It will do something for you. It'll put you in bondage. It will put you in bondage. Whether you name Christ or not, if you look to anything else other than God, it is a puny God. It will never be able to release you from, all it does is it pulls you in. And my encouragement, if, before we go any further, is if you find yourself in that kind of bondage, call out for help. Don't suffer quietly. Don't go like, hey, I'm going to put the Christian face on, but at home I'll just like suffer in despair. Do not do such a thing. Call out for help. Ask somebody. If you have to, call 911. Don't try to take it in your own hands. Call out for some help. Because all substitutes are puny gods, and they will only 
cause you to be in bondage. The rest of that verse goes, So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul, soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come to appear before God? Verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? And David, he had enemies that probably said those very words to him and many other ways he may have said it. And you might not have people saying like, hey, where's your God because of maybe your stance for Christ. But the truth is the devil and the world and even your flesh at times will go like, hey, where's God now? Where's he at? Like, where's the relief that he said he would bring? And like, where's the freedom and uh, the lack of bondage? Where is it now? Where's that at? And so it's a constant thing. If you don't watch out, like, where is God? Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in the progression to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise? A multitude keeping feasts. In other words, he's remembering good times and he's wondering, will I ever experience that again? Have you ever been there like, am I ever going to find relief? Will I ever be happy again? Will I ever experience this again? Like, God, where are you at? Like, it's dark here. But what am I going to do? Skip to verse 7. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves, they have gone over me. This is like saying, and you finish it with me, when it rains, it pours. You've said that, haven't you? In fact, you've even said it to God like, man, God, you just let it keep pouring. Like, is it ever going to stop? Is it ever going to get any better? Is anything ever going to change? Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why? Why? Where are you? And like, why have you forgotten me? With how I'm feeling, it seems like you have forgotten me and you've forsaken me and like you've disappeared and like, where are you at? Spurgeon said this, a loss of the present sense of God's love is not a loss of His love. But it is a loss. And it's a loss of what? what just in here in that statement. What's a is, it a, is it actually a loss of God's love and presence in your life? Or is it a loss of what? The sense, the assurance. So it's cloudy outside, right? Is the sun shining? I mean, you walk outside, you don't see it. You don't feel it. And it gets cloudy a lot. In fact, there's some states in the United States, it's cloudy a lot. There's more psychiatrists and, and so forth in those places because it's so cloudy and people wonder like, hey, is the sun ever going to shine again? The truth is the sun is shining, right? But it's cloudy right now. And it senses like, man, the sun isn't shining and it's never going to shine again. And the truth is, it can feel like that as a believer when it comes to the sense of the presence of God in your life. Like He's not there. Like He's forgotten. He's left. So how did David, and how are you going to deal with it? 
For many of you, you know these things. So it's just a reminder. For many of you, it might be this is like new. So I hope you hear. Look at verse 5. David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in torment within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in torment within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in a particular book that has been incredibly helpful for me throughout the years, it's called Spiritual Depression, The Cause and the Cures. And in it, he says this of this verse, Self, listen for a moment, for I'm going to speak to you. In other words, what is David doing here? Many of us know this as, we've heard it before, like preach the gospel to yourself, like What's that mean? Well, here David, way back then, is already practicing such things. He begins to remind himself of who God is, what God has said, his promises, and so on. In fact, here's just a statement before we go on. Uh, you know this, but maybe you've been in it so long you don't realize it. But every one of our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So you got thoughts that are contrary to God's word, and well, guess what? You'll be moving in that direction. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that you and I must take captive of all of our thoughts. If they're contrary to what God says, what are you to do? You're to take them captive. So I know this is going to surprise you, but I did two sports when I was in junior high and high school. I ran track because I was always running from someone and I thought, I might as well get a credit for it. And then when I would get caught, I thought, I need to figure out what I'm going to do when I do get caught. So I went out for wrestling. And so my wrestling coach was a military guy. Matt, I thought of you just a few weeks ago when I was putting this together. I'm thinking like, Matt, he's a military guy. Many of you are. And you know who you are. And uh, he was a military guy. And he taught us how to wrestle with a military mindset. And Matt, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're in law enforcement, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our coach said, when you go out on the mat, you go out to fully engage to pin that person. You don't go out there going like, ah, I think today I'll just put 50% in. Guess what? What happened, Matt? You're going to get pinned. You can't go 50, 70% in. You can't go 90% in. If you're going to take captive the thoughts that are contrary to what God says in His Word, you must go all in if you're going to take them captive. Because it, it kind of rhymes, and you know this saying. If you do not take every one of your thoughts captive, every one of your thoughts will do what? Take you captive. And then here's what happens. It happens subtly. Sometimes it happens faster than you can imagine. But if you let thoughts that are totally contrary to God, and maybe the devil, your flesh, the world system, 
the pain, the situation you're in, and it takes you away from God and you start thinking those thoughts, then guess what will happen? Your emotions will kick in and they will begin to link in with your false thoughts. And you know what happens? If you allow false thinking and then your emotions to catch up with that, it puts roots so deep down in your soul, it is hard to uproot them. So you and I, honestly... You and I must be vigilant. We must be diligent whenever whatever situation comes into our hearts and minds to be quick to remind ourselves, to be quick to remind our brothers and sisters. That's why we're to be so close that we're to come up to one another and to be able to encourage them. Don't think those things. Those things are not right. Here's what God says. Are you remembering this? Are you living this and so to take them captive because if you do not they will take you captive in the new testament there's a book called first peter the apostle peter is writing to people who are underneath the dictatorship of emperor nero nero is one of the most wickedest emperors there ever was he killed two of his wives uh, he would kill different people in his family He ultimately took his own life. While he was emperor of Rome, he wanted to uh, rebuild Rome, and so he had some of his uh, people go out and set buildings on fire, and then he would blame it on the Christians. And so to show retaliation, he would take Christians, and he would put them up on a stake, and he would drench them in oil, and he would light them on fire so that when you walk down Rome, you didn't have to walk in the dark. Christians were on fire. And so Peter is going to write to these people. Just think for a moment. If you knew someone who was about to die for their faith, and you were going to talk with them, or you were going to write them a letter, what would you tell them? It's it's all going to work out. Or, I won't name the type, my wife likes to watch these type of movies on a particular channel they have a they have a greeting cards not to give it away but in many of the episodes it's really going bad in someone's love life and their best friend says to them I promise it's going to be okay and every time that happens I'm like first of all I want to puke but uh, (laughs) it's like can you promise that like Really? Like, I promise it's going to be okay. I promise you're going to get through this, is whatever. When Peter writes to people who are, their families are dying, they're probably going to die soon. You know what he says to them? You can just write this down or listen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, remember God and all that He's done for you and His promises and His character and all that He has said. And know that God never promised life is going to be a bed of roses, and he never promised that you would not suffer or die for your faith. And remember this, you need to remember these things, 
because probably tomorrow you will be killed. But you set your hope in the moment you step through death into the presence of God. All that will be over. So, I thought I had it pretty well under control. I was a follower of Christ. 21 years old, I thought, you become a follower of Christ and instantly depression and those type of things disappear. They don't. And it was disturbing to me, but yet, you know, I didn't tell anybody that. And about nine years ago, I thought I had it pretty well under control, but about nine years ago, both my parents went to heaven and I was taking care of them and It's interesting how this works. It's always usually in the middle of the night. You can't sleep and you wake up. Fear grips you and and you're like worrying and you're having all these thoughts and you're laying in bed. And I don't know about you, I cannot think straight and I cannot pray right by laying in bed at 2 in the morning when all this stuff's swimming in my mind. I remember getting up and I went to our dining room table and I just sat there with a little light on and I'm trying to pray and it is so like I'm trying to take these things captive. I'm like trying to remind myself and I remember I couldn't think straight. I couldn't pray straight. And so I got my journal out and I began to write down in my journal. And it helped me to be able to take my thoughts and as I began to preach the gospel to myself more and more. I remember writing things down. In fact, I remember writing down truths in God's Word. I remember writing down God's promises. You know, just think a moment. Do you, do you actually know more than God will never flood the world again? Do you know any more of the promises of God in the Bible. I haven't worried lately about drowning. I believe God. I believe that's true. What about the other promises of God? And I realize I don't know a lot of them. I need to know more of them. Hear this. I remember writing down to be very clear about what God has not promised. For some of us, we're thinking God has forgotten us and is not answering our prayers and like, where's he at? Because we're counting on something he never said he would do. And so you got this false expectation of God and like he's not doing like what he said. You know, like we maybe grow up with like, you know, in the Bible it says God helps those who help themselves. Where's that at? Second hesitations. You just look it up. You'll find it. It's not there. And yet, we grow up or we hear people and good people say these things. We're going, like, that must be true. Or, like, you know, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, nowhere in the Bible is that. And the deal is we kind of have these expectations of God, and yet He never said. He never said that. And then when it happens... It's like, well, God, you let me down. And then he says, hey, listen, I told you it'd be tough in this world. It'd be tough. I remember writing some things down that I had expectations of God. And then I began to recall God's character. 
And I remember writing it down. Writing it down. Do you know any more of God's character than that He loves you? That's good enough. I mean, that's pretty good, right? But do you know any more? Like any more of His characteristics? Like He never changes. He's not fickle like the world is who changes and like one day it's okay and the next day it's not okay. And He's not like the world we live in that says the things that we know are wrong, the world says, oh, no, they're good. And the things we know that are good, the world goes, no, those things are wrong. And He never changes. And He's always steady. And He's always faithful. And He's always holy. And He's always wise. And He's always, always, always. And I can remember writing down, I must preach to myself. You know what preaching to yourself includes? Rebuking yourself. Correcting yourself, instructing yourself, persuading yourself of the truth, reminding yourself of the truth. What was David doing? Why are you cast down on my soul? Trust God. And then I realized something. I must preach the gospel to myself more than anyone else. I can't wait for the radio program of John MacArthur, my favorite preacher on radio. I can't wait for him to build me up. I can't wait for every Sunday morning to listen to Pastor Marty and wait for him to build me up. Guess what? You and I have to preach the gospel to ourselves, and you need to preach the gospel to one another, all of us, continually. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that is every day we are to exhort one another so that we won't slip into sin and get a hardened heart and start thinking things that are contrary to the things of God. Always. And so you and I must continually preach it and remember it and think the truth and know the truth. And again, I just say it one more time before I end. You must remind yourself of things that God has not promised and make sure your expectations are on what He has promised. And so you say with me, because I kind of ended it at the beginning. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they chose not to bow down to the idol, and people said, where is your God? And they threw, him, threw them into the fire. You tell me, where was God? He was right in the middle of it with them. And at eight years old, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and they were taunting, where's your God now? Where was he? He was right there in the den with them. And when Stephen was being stoned to death for preaching the truth and living it, and they were stoning him to death, you remember the story? He looks up, and God allowed him to be able to see that there Jesus is. Now, if you read the book of Hebrews, you know that when Jesus went back into heaven, he sat down on the throne. Meaning what? It's finished. Salvation has been finished. The work of salvation has been absolutely finished. And yet, when Stephen looks up and God allows him to see, he sees Jesus doing what? Standing. He was no longer seated. Because I'm convinced that, hear me, 
when you and I live through difficulties, but we continue to trust God and we trust that he is there with us, he never lets you and I stand alone. He stands with us every moment of it. So hear me. If you are a believer and you are stuck or are struggling or you are in bondage and you think God's forgotten you, where's he at? Just preach it to yourself. Where's he at? He's right there with you. He is right there with you. Hey, Jonathan, come on up. That's pretty subtle, I know. <laughs> but hear me. If you're not a follower of Christ. In fact, for many of our, all of these young people got the blue shirts, some we, we don't have on. We, all this uh, weekend, been studying under God's word. And if you're not a follower of Christ, well, where, where's God for you? Like, where's he at? Because, honestly, you cannot say that he is right there with me. Because as a not a follower of Christ, not just students, but any person in this room, not a follower of Christ, you don't have that promise that God is with you. So, like, what's God up to? Well, I can tell you, if you're a student and you don't know Christ, all this weekend through the gospel, you know what God's been doing? He's been tugging at your heart. He's been trying to draw you to himself. At 21 years old, when I sensed that, you know what it was? Not lightning and not thunder, but it was in my heart of hearts. I sensed I'm separated from God. I need his forgiveness. And here's the deal. The, the change was I had a desire I had never had before. I had a desire. I want to be forgiven. I want to be a follower of yours. The only way you could ever think that as a lost person is because God is drawing you to himself. And you know what you do? You know what you do when someone's calling you? You know, when your mom, when you're little, and you're in the backyard, your mom called, you don't know what the right thing to do was? Obey. And to say, yeah, mom, here I come. And honestly, not just student, but anyone, if you sense God drawing you, you got this in your urge, in your heart. Oh my goodness, I'm separated from God. But he wants me to be his child. And I have this incredible want to. What do you do? You say, forgive me. You say, yes. You obey. In fact, we just, in a moment, we're honestly not going to be singing. Don't let that mess you up. You know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be preaching the gospel to ourselves in song in a moment. For a believer, this song will be the truth. If you're a non-believer, this song can be the truth. Because you're here today. He hasn't let you die he has still shown mercy on you that you could hear the gospel once again you could sense a drawing to himself once again as a young person you could 
say to the person next to you, you can say to your group leader, there's kicker, he'll whisper to you if you need that. Pastor Marty's right here. I'll be right here. If you need to talk to someone, talk to someone. Otherwise, you and God to say, yes, I obey. If you are a follower of Christ, let this just be once again reminder of an incredible truth that we need to remind ourselves every day that God is there with us. He is for us and he will hold us fast. So God, I pray that for unbelievers, they in their heart would just say yes to you today. For those maybe hadn't been following you, yes. For those maybe suffering and, and despair yet, no one knows about it. May they cry out to you today. Remind themselves of your incredible truths. May your Holy Spirit be able to break through any type of a hard, unbelieving heart that they've come to have. Lord, for all of us, life might just be going great right now. Help us to store up ammo in our hearts of the truth of your word so when difficult despair comes, we're ready. We know that you are there. So, Lord, thank you for your incredible promises of your presence in our life.